Daniel chapter 10, and I'll read the whole, um, the whole chapter. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. The prince of the king of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side except against these, except Michael, your prince. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to to confirm and strengthen him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. We finally reached the last vision of the book of Daniel. We've seen many visions. We've seen, we've heard many words from Daniel, but here we come in chapters 10, 11, and 12 to one big climactic final vision. And 
It is a long one. It's one that kind of unfolds over several chapters. And so we're going to break it down piece by piece rather than just taking it all in one big package. What you need to see is each chapter that we're going to look at unfolds a different part of this vision. It is doing different things. Chapter 10 prepares us for the vision. It, it sets our minds. It gets us ready for, for what is going to be unfolded in 11. Because 11, when we come to chapter 11, we see the, the vision itself with all of its glory just hitting us uh, straight on. And then in chapter 12, Daniel winds down this vision. He brings it to this climactic closure. So that's what we're going to see. In chapter 10, the vision prepared. In chapter 11, uh, the vision is unfolded. And then in chapter 12, the vision is brought to its climactic conclusion. But here in chapter 10, we have a preparation. And it's not a preparation that we should just fly by. You know, there's good reason why we're not just jumping past this and going straight for the vision itself. And the reason is that what Daniel shows us here is crucial for us to understand if we're going to understand the full weight of his vision. Chapter 10 takes us behind the stage of history, behind the stage that this vision is going to play out on. And what it does is it's like a backstage pass to a concert. If Daniel's Vision is like this grand concert with, with, with different kinds of instruments playing and different acts. Um, chapter 10 is the backstage pass that lets you into the, the field of that vision and takes you behind the scenes and shows you what's going on behind the curtain. Um, now, have any of you ever been to a concert and had a backstage pass to a concert? I think maybe only once have I ever gotten to do that. It, it wasn't a, a, a big, fancy concert. But um, I remember it, it really changes the way you see things when you show up and you hear the orchestra pre- preparing in front, but you get to go back behind, behind the scenes and you get to see um, the band getting ready and you get to see the director moving people left and right and you get to see um, all the, the scenery that's going to be part of um, an, an opera, for example, being moved into place. And, and it just get, you say, wow, there's a lot going, going on back here. That's what Daniel chapter 10 does for us. It takes us behind the scenes of this world, behind the scene of the vision. And it shows us that there's much happening back there that we need to know. The main point that we see just come out of this vision is this, that the struggles we experience in this life are a reflection of a deeper spiritual conflict behind the scenes, a deeper spiritual reality that is just often invisible to our sight, but is going on around us. I want us to see three invisible things, three things that often are not plain to the sight. I want us to get a glimpse of this behind the scenes. And the first is the invisible battle. One of the things that that we see jump off the pages of this text is a battle that is raging, an invisible battle. Now, what does Daniel see with his eyes? As he's mourning, as he's weeping, as he's fasting. Why is he doing that, by the way? Well, he gives us a timestamp. We're going to see how the invisible battle plays into this. But first, I want to see what, what, what Daniel, I want you to see what Daniel is seeing with his eyes. 
In the third year of Cyrus, that's the timestamp that Daniel gives us in verse one of this chapter. In the first year of Cyrus, many Israelites have gone back to Jerusalem. Cyrus made a decree in the very first year of his reign that Israel could return. Jews could go back and they could rebuild their temple. They, they, They were free to go. But Daniel stays behind. Maybe one of the reasons he stays behind is because he knows he's in his 80s. And as at this stage as a seasoned saint, he can pray for his people as he continues to do what he's doing in exile. But his prayers for the people are deep. And you get the sense that he is aware of a conflict that is happening with his people. And sure enough, we know that at this time, as his people were making their way back to Israel, there are great conflicts happening in history. Their people are, are, are returning to rebuild the temple, but all is not well in the land. They're receiving obstacles and difficulty. And Persia itself, the very nation that let them go back to the land, there's signs in the history books that they are starting to turn back from what they were allowing Israel to do. And Daniel is apparently very moved by this. And so he mourns and he weeps at a time that would be a time of great feasting. But this messenger who comes to Daniel shows him that this conflict he's seeing with his eyes is not all there is. For behind the scenes and the spiritual dimension, there is a war going on. A war in the heavenly places. And it is a war that is actually the the, the very... You could say that the, the, the source of these conflicts on earth. Look, what do we see in verse five? A heavenly warrior appears, a messenger who is decked out in heavenly battle clothes. And in verse 13, we see more of the glimpse of why this warrior, this messenger appears, because there's a heavenly war going on. And what is that heavenly war like? I mean, it's, it's like we can barely um, trace what's going on. It seems so... Uh, So otherworldly to us. Michael, the archangel, is engaged in battle with this fellow messenger. They are locked in combat with a dark power that is called the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Who on earth is he? You tell me. But one of the things that's clear from this passage is this prince of the kingdom of Persia is a dark power, a dark force behind what our eyes can see. And he seems to have a particular role in what is going on with the evil actions of the Persian kingdom. And he's not alone because who else do we see in this strange scene? We see kings of Persia in that same, in that same verse, verse 13. Not only the prince of the kingdom of Persia, but also princes or kings of Persia are with him. And then we come to verse 20 and it gets even stranger. We see the prince of Greece is going to arrive right after the prince of Persia has been defeated in battle. And you say, what on earth? What's he talking about? Is he talking about real kings? I don't believe so. I believe what we are seeing is we are seeing a glimpse into the the demonic powers who stand behind the Persian empire and the Greek empire to come. We are seeing the puppet masters who influence Persia from a spiritual dimension. And we're seeing the angels who stand against them and and who who engage them in fierce combat for the sake of the people of God. And you say, that sounds really strange. Yeah, it does. 
But here's what the Bible is saying. An invisible war rages around us. Okay? Angels and demons take their places on the chessboard behind, behind the, um, the, the, the visible world. And they have responsibilities and there's hierarchies and they're engaged in conflict. And that this unseen battle somehow affects us. It is somehow penetrating this world. Spiritual warfare is affecting the warfare around us and the struggles around us. That's why Israel is, in, is experiencing these convulsions, these evil convulsions as they try to rebuild the temple and make their way back to the land as God's people. This is spiritual warfare. Now let's admit that, admit something. This sounds strange to us. It's just weird to our ears. I think one of the reasons that's the case is we've been wired since day one. Day one, living in this post-enlightenment society uh, to believe that what we see around us is the only thing that's really real. What you can measure, what you can add up, what you can study uh, uh, through, through uh, observation, biology, sociology, astronomy, that's what's real. That's all you need to explain the phenomenon around us and the struggles you encounter. And so it feels so weird to our, our ears when we hear of a spiritual dimension and you say, yeah, that's, that's not something my, my society likes to talk about. Of course not. But it's not what the Bible says. The Bible teaches that the view of reality that we've inherited um, in this post-enlightenment world, this, this world of observation and measurements, and that's all there is, that's actually a flattened out version of reality. It's a one-dimensional sense of what's really going on. And the Bible says that's only one slice of reality, but there's a whole world behind the scenes. And if that makes you uncomfortable, I'm sorry. Ephesians chapter 6. What does it say? We read it. Ephesians 6 verse 10. Sounded a whole lot like this passage, didn't it? I think that's because Paul loves his Old Testament. He's learned from his Old Testament. And he says, we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against what? The powers in the heavenly places, the forces of cosmic evil that are looming over this present darkness. Angels and hierarchies, demons and hierarchies, powers beyond what the eye can see, beyond what we can figure out. You know, sometimes we fall into this error I think this is the main error of our society of saying that spiritual um, dimension, demons and evil forces downplaying their existence, right? they're, They're not really this huge force to be reckoned with. We fall, we can fall into that error of downplaying um, evil forces, but the Bible is actually pushing us back and saying, this has its proper place. And you need to know, you need to have a slice of this, what's going, this is what's going on. Abraham Kuyper, wonderful theologian, he writes this. If once the curtain were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came to view, it would expose to our spiritual vision a struggle so intense, so convulsive, sweeping everything within its range, that the fiercest battle ever fought on earth would seem by comparison a mere game. 
Not here, but up there. That is where the real conflict is waged. That's biblical. That's Ephesians 6. That's Daniel 10. Does that scare you? Does it scare you that there are things behind the scenes, influences behind the scenes that that you don't know about? And when you have long and frustrating struggles with sin, when you experience persecution for the faith, when, when you feel alone, when you have a sickness that, that plagues you, a thorn in your flesh, and you say, what is this all about? And that, that sometimes material answers aren't the only things that, can, that, that are readily available to explain what's going on. That there might be, and there very well are, spiritual factors that are playing into the warfare and the struggles that are, are played out in the scene of your lives. That's scary. That's frightening. But more than that, this reality should sober you up, just make you really clear-minded to see what life really is. Life isn't a picnic. Life isn't a picnic. Just to just breeze through, enjoying it with no struggles. Life is a battle, friends. It's a battleground. And it's far more intense and convulsive than we've, we give it credit for. Now, if that's all our passage said, if that's the only behind-the-scene glimpse that we got, we'd, we'd have good reason to kind of freak out at this point and say, okay, um, what do I do? There's a prince of the, the, the kingdom of Persia. I mean, who are we facing today? What, what's behind the scenes that I don't see? And then just totally lose it. But the second glimpse we see in this passage is an awesome messenger. In fact, it is a a glimpse of the very glory of God we're going to see. Who is this mystery messenger? The one who glows with bright uh, color. The one whose voice is like thunder and the sounds of many water. The one who flashes like lightning. Is this an angel? Is this an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ? Christ before he came and took on flesh? Some, some scholars have said that. You know, they pointed to Revelation chapter 1 and you see this description of Jesus and he seems a lot like the person, like the one like a man in this passage. And you say, huh. And yet there are some things in this passage that just leave us un- unsteady with that. He, he is opposed and actually detained for a time by the prince of the power of Persia. He's sent by someone to us. And so there's some things that just don't really tidy this up. And I'm afraid this morning I can't give you great clarity on that question, friends. The Bible just doesn't lock it down for me. The messenger could be an angel. The the messenger could also be an appearance of of the pre-incarnate Christ. But the important thing to know is this. The messenger is designed to point you back to the one who sent him. I think that's the main thing that we learn from this mystery messenger. He comes to us, he comes to Daniel, and there's a lot of things we learn about him, but the things we learn about him are ultimately things that are true of God. It's like he is a walking, talking mirror of God's glory. And that's what we see with the angels in the Bible, right? They've spent time in the very throne room of God, 
bowing before the, the king of kings. So it's only natural that they would shine as a reflection of the glorious presence of the one that they've been in. And this is another glimpse that Daniel gives us, a glimpse of, of the very glory of God. Let's just note a few things we see here about God as he is reflected off of this messenger. We see God's power in this text. The one whose voice shakes the earth, the one who flashes with lightning. What does he point us to? He points us to the one who is far more powerful than any prince of the kingdom of Persia. He is powerful. Our Lord God is more powerful than the fiercest demon who could conjure up evil against us. You can't walk away from this vision without being impressed by that. That God is big and God is powerful and God is mightier than the forces that stand against us. And you also can't miss God's holiness in this passage as he shines off this vision. Here comes this angelic messenger or whoever this mystery messenger is. And he's clothed in priestly garments, priestly linens. He's pure and fire burns from his presence. What does this point us to? It points us to the very holiness of God. The glory and the weight and the set apartness of the one in whom there is no sin. God himself. What does that show us? It shows us that obedience to God isn't a minor matter. Are staying faithful to God, even when spiritual struggles um, press in against us, even when, when earth convulses because of what spiritual forces have, are doing. Even then, we're not, we can't just go with the flow. We can't just go with the earthly program. We can't just, you know, jump in line with what the spiritual forces are doing. We are called to be pure. And to turn from sin. And to walk in the presence of the burning one. The one in whom there is found no trace of sin. Spiritual warfare in our faithfulness matters to this blazing, holy God. But the other thing that just strikes us from this vision, this this sneak peek of God's glory is this. That he is a God of great mercy and grace. You just can't miss that when you, when you see this mystery messenger reflect God's glory. What does he do? He speaks words of great kindness, gospel words to Daniel. Three times he encourages him. He says three times there is this gospel touch that meets Daniel when he's flattened on the ground because of the spiritual warfare, because of God's holiness. And he touches Daniel and he strengthens him and he makes him to stand. You can't read this vision without seeing that this God in the midst of our spiritual warfare, he takes an interest in us. He took an interest in Daniel. He cares for his people. What does he say over and over again? Daniel, you are greatly loved. You are not alone in your struggles. That 
is good news for us. All of this is wonderful news for us in the midst of a, of a spiritual warfare that we can't see. It tells us this, that our God is bigger than the warfare around us. Our God is more holy than the, than, and he is so holy that he is pushing out those evil forces, doing battle with them and cleansing us. And finally, that he is so full of grace and care for us that he would never leave us alone in our struggles. Isn't that, isn't that what the gospel brings to its great climax, that Jesus Christ has come as God's great messenger to touch us with his gospel, to atone for our sins before a holy God, to bring us into his presence and to give us his Holy Spirit so that we're never alone in the fight? That he has done, done already battle with the great princes in the heavenly places disarming them by the power of his cross. That's the, the, the even fuller message and the revelation of the glory of God that Jesus brings to us and to you. So that you can know right here and right now, you are not alone in your struggles. Friends, you are greatly loved for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. There's an invisible battle around us. That's the first glimpse we see. God is on our side in Christ Jesus. An angel army fights for us. We are never alone. That's, that's the second thing we see in this passage. Second behind the scenes scene glimpse. But it leaves you kind of wondering. What do we do in the midst of all this? Where does this leave us? Us. Is there anything we can do to actively engage in this battle? Or are, are we kind of like, you know, in Lord of the Rings style, like, like hobbits in the middle of this grand fight where you've got an orc army and an elf army and they're clashing on the battlefield and we're just kind of running around trying not to get hit by the swords? Is that kind of what we're like? I don't think so. I think right in this passage, we have this, this another glimpse into a secret weapon. A powerful weapon that we have available to us. That as we see the invisible war and as we see the God who stands for us and fights for us, that we see that that God has actually given us his very own strength and the power of prayer. Prayer is the powerful weapon. Did you notice that prayer is the very thing that triggered this vision? It's the thing that set this in motion. Um, verse 12 the angel says, as soon as you began to speak, your words were heard. And he said this, I have come because of your words. Why did this combat with the, with the prince of the power of Persia happen in the first place? It's because Daniel prayed and angels went to war. Daniel prayed and God sent forces to combat the evil that was surging against his people. That's the power of prayer. Prayer is like a spiritual airstrike, like calling in a, an airstrike against God's enemies. Do you see prayer like that? Oh, that we would pray like Daniel. Oh, that we would see prayer as our greatest weapon, like a spiritual airstrike air against the enemy. 
That's how Ephesians 6.18 sees it. Ephesians 6 talks about the weapons of our warfare. It talks about, first of all, what does Ephesians 6 say? It, it unpacks the invisible battle around us, right? And leaves us breathless. And then it points us to God as the very source of our strength. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then it teaches us how to do that. And it gives us weapons of warfare, all culminating in verse 18 with all prayer and supplication. That's not an afterthought in Paul's epistle. It's actually showing us that prayer is our greatest weapon that we wield against God's enemies. Friend, one of the things that I think this passage teaches us is that our prayers are often too small and too safe. We pray for small sins when really we could pray for God to undo those larger sins that loom over our life and have footholds. We pray we pray for, for our church in this small corner of, of, of the world, and we should, but our prayers could be for, for the global church and for the, the things, the spiritual warfare that is convulsing Christians in China and in our missions overseas. Sometimes our prayers are so small and so safe. It's like we're, we're, we're being careful not to ask God too much. But what this passage shows us, remember what we just saw in the image of this blazing holy one. Our God is for us and that we can come to him with confidence. If we really believe that Christ died so that the enemy's defeat is certain, if we really believe that in Christ's resurrection, the, the, the principalities and, and, and powers that are in the heavenly places were disarmed from, from their ultimate sway against the gospel, then shouldn't we come boldly? Shouldn't we come Asking for God's spiritual airstrike to just be fierce against the evil one. And shouldn't we come realizing that in some mysterious providence, God has arranged it so that our prayers are part of him fulfilling his plan. I don't understand that. But the one thing that we have to see is prayer is our weapon. And it's a weapon that is used not in our own strength, but in God's. Lord, holy one, blazing one. Fulfill your promises. Protect your people. Save us from our sin. Save us from the evil one. And the most powerful part of this weapon is God says, when we ask, he will act. When we pray, he sends angels to war. Let's pray now. Asking his blessing upon us and his protection upon his people.